on today's episode of the Digging In Podcast. We continue the book of John. Digging In family, welcome back to another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons From Series. So happy to have you guys here and so excited to continue moving in the book of John. Man, I am, I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty pumped, man. This, this is a crazy book and this section today is, uh, it's rather juicy, if you will. And what I mean by that in my creepy voice is that this is some of the most awesome writing ever. I'm having a hard time with my words because I don't really know how to describe it. I mean, it's just so image filled and it's just so beautiful that this is, uh, it, it should be good enough to cause even, um, even the strongest man, a little bit of choke up. And what I mean by that is really, uh, maybe a little bit of tear will form in your eye. <laughs> Guys, this is just awesome. I'm, I'm being silly. I'm being ridiculous. Uh, episode 61. I mean, come on. That's crazy. Uh, but hey, we're going to move into some awesome stuff today. Uh, right off the bat, we're going to have a really nerdy conversation because it has to happen. And uh, after that, we'll, we'll jump in. But before we do anything, uh, why don't you guys go ahead and grab a Bible, pen, and paper, and let's dig in. Father God, thank you so much for bringing us all together today. God, that around the country and world right now, we are listening uh, to a ridiculous podcast. But in reality, God, what we are doing is we're about to jump in and read your word. That right now, all around the world, there are people who are listening to your words in scripture. And that is a blessing beyond blessings. It's so awesome to know that the community of the Christian faith is so big and so strong uh, that you are working in mighty ways. So today I ask that as we open up your scripture and we read through John 8 through 14, that you would be with us and help us to learn and see what you want us to know and what you want us to uh, experience with you. God, help all of the stuff that we do here always come back to the one major thing which is to fall deeper in love with you. God, we love you so much. And uh, when we don't love you and we have a hard time, help us. Help us in our unlove and help us in our unbelief. Thank you, Lord. In your name, amen. Right on. Here we go. Here we go. 8 through 14, folks. John 8 through 14. I'm pumped. Go ahead and read it. Um, Read it carefully. In fact, right when you start chapter 8, read it very carefully. (laughs) Right before you start the chapter, look right above that into this one little weird uh, statement that your Bible should have for you about chapters chapters 8, 1 through 11. Uh, But after that, once you finish up chapter 14, join us back for our discussion. Right on, guys. Welcome back. Uh, John 8 through 14 is a super fun passage. A couple truly, truly I say to use and a couple I am statements if you guys uh, caught those. So this is a huge section for us today. Uh, and as normal, I've got my Bible right here and you're going to hear those pages turning because as we move today, uh, there's a lot we have to cover. So before we do anything, let's get nerdy. I wish I had like a, a button I could click. I, all these, oh, this is terrible. If I did the let's get nerdy. Schlang. 
<laughs> man, shout out to Du Bois podcast uh, on Spotify. Uh, du Bois are a couple of the dudes who work here at the church who run our college ministry. Actually, one of them is our associate pastor, and the other one uh, runs our college ministry. And uh, they make all these really ridiculous buttons. I mean, like, like it's so unnecessary and childish, but you know, um, I've got it, and there's that. <laughs> Who needs any of these things? I don't. I haven't pressed those buttons in a long time. So <laughs> there's that. But hey, let's get nerdy um, because right there at the top, right before you start chapter eight, uh, you're, what you're going to see is a hopefully, I imagine you, your Bible should say this if it doesn't get a new one. Uh, but it should say that the earliest manuscripts do not include 753 through 811. The reason why this is super important uh, is because what you are about to read in uh, chapter 8, 1 through 11 is a super famous story. The woman caught in adultery where Jesus gets down and he draws a line in the sand. Maybe you guys have heard this. He who has has not sinned can cast the first stone. Um, Here's the thing. The earliest manuscripts don't even include this, meaning... All, most of the other stories, aside from the end of the book of Mark, most of them include are included in every single one of the earliest manuscripts. That means that all of the excavated materials that we have found over the, you know, several, like about a hundred or so years of excavation, um, we have been digging and trying to find uh, or the earliest accounts of some of the scripture because uh, the fact is, is it didn't just happen when they could print Bibles. There was stuff happening way before that moment. Uh, and we have record all the way back to uh, the book of Isaiah that it would state some pretty early dates. And if you're interested in that to get nerdy, uh, you should look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, Google those, and uh, the, the Qumran, spell with a Q, uh, look that up. And, and just look up these, these manuscripts or the original autographs of the Bible. And you'll be astounded by the amount of history and the amount of uh, science and study that has gone into these manuscripts. And ultimately what it means is that 8, 1 through 11 is not in the earliest ones, which means it came in later traditions. I don't, we don't know exactly when it came in, but it seems like a story that was not being told in the original days. In fact, I've gone um, so far as to say that I don't think that I would ever really preach on this section, although I've heard plenty of pastors and great pastors at that preach on this section, I don't think I would preach on it um, because I think that the ideas that are present in this uh, section about who Jesus is and what we're learning about God are present in other moments. And so while this text is complicated in that it may have come up later on in life, I think that would avoid the complications altogether by just avoiding uh, preaching on this. So with that being said, I'm not even going to mention it. I'm just going to tell you that you can read it and find out some stuff about it. Um, but then we're going to move forward into the next section which, by the way, is a huge st- huge section, a massive statement. Again, we're going to get two things in one for John. We're going to get an I am statement. If you guys remember Exodus, when uh, Moses is like, who do I tell them? Like, you want me to lead this burning bush, right? You, you want me to lead these people out of slavery, but who do I say has sent me? And he said, tell them that I am has sent you. So it's God talking through the burning bush. Um, and so we're going to get a couple I am statements here, meaning that Jesus is saying, I am this. This is who I am. And we already know that he is God. 
And so now we're going to learn a couple new things about him as well. So some truly, truly I say to you, some I am statements, um, and, and a whole bunch of this theme of light versus darkness. And so if you guys are there with me, chapter 8, verse 13 through 30, you're going to read about Jesus saying that he is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And Pharisees go nuts. No one likes it. Uh, his, what he's saying is true, but everyone kind of freaks out because it's so anti anything they've ever heard because what this guy is doing is he's saying he's God. He's literally saying he's God. And these Pharisees who spent their whole life learning about the scriptures are having a really hard time believing that this is the Messiah. He doesn't seem like this Messiah. He doesn't look like the Messiah. He doesn't fit the description for how I would imagine the Messiah. So he can't be. Then he reads, the truth will set you free in 31 through 38, another famous uh, set of scripture uh, talking about how Jesus says that he is the truth and that he will set us free. And then he says this crazy line, this line that I love in 34. He says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. So what he's saying essentially by bringing up all this imagery is that if you are practicing sin, then you are a slave to sin. But that when you know Jesus and you are in life with Jesus, then he has set you free. So you no longer are a slave to the sin in the world. So there you go. Uh, then he calls the Pharisees the devil. You are of your father. You are from your father and your father is the devil. Uh, really intense statement. <laughs> and then he says, before Abraham was, I am making another I, I am statement, but now relating it not to Moses, but before Moses with Abraham. And what he's saying is he was there at the beginning of it all. Another I am statement. And uh, that's a pretty big one. So he is not just making claims to deity now. He's saying that I've always been there. I'll always be there. Who I am is who you've waited for, but you don't believe me. We get this awesome story in chapter 9 where Jesus heals a, heals a man who was born blind and he totally confuses Pharisees and his, even his own disciples as he tells them that it's not just people aren't born blind or people don't have special needs. People don't have these problems and the world is not just broken just because it's broken or because of sin all throughout. Sometimes what God does is he allows things to happen so that way his glory can be made known and perfect through a certain circumstance. And so in the story of this man who was born blind, Jesus heals him so that way God's glory can be on full display. So pretty, uh, pretty, pretty awesome. And uh, I love that. I mean, I, I really love that section. It speaks to, again, like I just said, uh, kids and adults with special needs. It speaks to the like the love and the honor that goes into God's creative power, especially within life and, and what he has intended uh, for life that we'll never understand uh, until we see him face to face. Then he says something crazy in uh, John chapter 10. He's gone on to all these things. Now he says, I am the good shepherd. Going to come back to this in a minute. It's going to be our final point for the day. Um, and so we're going to come back to this 10, 1 through 21 here at the end. So just hold on to that thought. Uh, because right when he says in 22 is continuing our theme. He says, I and the father are one. We are one in the same. People 
did not like that one either. He's just teaching them who he is and nobody likes it. How different is this from the other three gospels? I mean, it was kind of secretive in the other gospels. He, he didn't want everyone to know who he was. He, he wanted that in, in certain places at certain times, but for the most part, it was kind of like a secretive Jesus. But this one is just so out front and so abundantly clear and so okay with everyone knowing who he really is. Love that. Another I am statement uh, is coming up soon, but before the I am statement in chapter 11, we see the death of Lazarus, which is when we see the shortest verse in the entire Bible where it says that Jesus wept. Um, if you guys have the chance to actually read through um, this whole area, um, then, then you'll, you'll actually read through that. And so this is when Lazarus dies and he uh, raises him up. And this is when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So uh, huge chapter 11 is a huge section about life and death and what it looks like to Jesus. Uh, in chapter 11, essentially 11, 1 through 44 is the story of Lazarus. And it's very much worth a, a heavy dose of reading. Uh, and then at the end of chapter 11, 45 through 57 is when they're beginning to actually plot to kill Jesus. So they've moved on from the arresting part to just, we just need to kill this guy. He, he's got to go. Um, in chapter 12, they want to kill Lazarus also because he was raised from the dead. <laughs> they don't like that because he's telling all kinds of stories now to everyone. Don't like that. Uh, Mary anoints Jesus at Bethany. Uh, this is his triumphal entry into back into Jerusalem, which is in all four of the Gospels. And then, then we get this moment in chapter 12 where there are some Greeks who are seeking Jesus. That is Gentile people. I just got done talking with one of my youth kids today about this. Um, but we were talking about the collectivist culture of Israel. That for the longest time, because God had chosen Israel to be the people that he would make his covenants with, Israel constantly thought that they were God's people and that other people could maybe receive that, but not really. We see this really clearly in Jonah. Uh, Jonah did not believe that Nineveh deserved the same blessings that Israel received, which is grace and mercy. He says, Nineveh should die. Kill them all. I'm not going there. I'm not preaching anything. And then God says, no, I'm going to forgive them. And you should be okay with that. Are you not okay with me showing my love, mercy, and grace to even your enemies? So Israel had a hard time accepting the fact that other people might receive the same blessings that they do because it makes them feel less special, less unique. When in reality, God is much bigger than just the God of Israel, but he's the God of the universe. And so in 12, uh, in chapter 12, verses 20 through 26, we read this idea of these Gentiles, people who are not in the, the Jewish faith seeking Jesus. He says, whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. And so he makes this claim that it's not just because you're Jewish, but it's if you actually serve, if you walk alongside Jesus and serve him, love him, believe in him, trust in him, work with him and work out of him, then you will have life because the father trusts in that. 
really huge phrase because guys, we're Gentiles. Here we are. Unless you are, unless you were born Jewish and you have switched to be a Christian, you're a Gentile. And that speaks right here. Jesus is speaking to all Gentiles saying, yeah, if you actually love me and serve me, then you can be with me, which is huge. So cool. Uh, then he predicts his, this not predicts, but it's more of like a prophetic moment where he says the son of man must be lifted up. Uh, and that's in the next section of chapter 12. And then he talks about the unbelief of the people. This is a really fascinating chapter because it looks back at all of Israel, not chapter, but section. Um, that is 12, sorry, let me check here. 1236B all the way through 43. That's because that verse is split up into two there. Uh, 36B through 43 is the unbelief of the people from the book of Isaiah saying that people just didn't believe and that's just the way that it was. And at the end of chapter 12, the last section is that Jesus came to save the world. He came to save the world. Awesome, beautiful chapter, right? And then 13 is when he actually washes his disciples' feet. This is one of my favorite things to do an experiential learning teaching on, where I have people wash others' feet and to think about what Jesus was really doing. That Jesus, the Son of God, the God of the universe, who was there at the beginning of the creation of the world, the one who has a throne in heaven, Jesus got down on his hands and knees and scrubbed the gross feet of the sandal-wearing, Middle Eastern-walking disciples scrubbed their gross feet. This job was reserved only for the servant of the household. And he's saying, I'll be the servant. I want you to serve me, but guess what? I'm going to serve you. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Love it. Absolutely love it. And then he says, one of you guys is going to actually uh, <laughs> betray me. He's talking to Judas. Um, and then Jesus foretells uh, Peter's denial uh, right before that, he actually gives them the new commandment, which is to um, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. So that's for all people to know. And then the last, our last chapter today is 14. And in chapter 14, we have another I am statement. This one combines a few from the past, which is that not only is he life and the truth, but he's now the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can get to heaven through me. Truly, truly, this is verse 12. This is 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these he will do because I am going to go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. But he says that I, all this is coming from the fact that he's going to leave, and that's better for us, because then he can do things through the Father. And how? Well, he answers it in 14, 15 through 31. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit will enter into you, God's presence in your life forever. No longer will you be separate from God, but he will be within you. It's better that I leave because the one who is coming will be with you forever. So chapter 14 ends our section today, and it ends in a way that is beautiful, and it shows the promise of God through the Holy Spirit as God's presence in us, encouraging us, building us up, and pointing us back towards Christ. But what I want to do today is I want to jump back to John chapter 10, 1 through 21. This section is a very important section to me. This is part of the upside down kingdom. That is that Jesus is challenging 
the beliefs, the widely held beliefs uh, of, of what the Messiah is, the Savior is. And he's saying, more or less, that he is that Messiah. But the problem is, is that his images and the way he's describing it is not the way that these people want it. They want a political military savior. They want someone who will come in and destroy Rome and make great Jerusalem once again. So that way they can have the new temple and the new earth that's been talked to them this whole time. But the problem is Jesus isn't here to do that, so to speak. Rather, his goal and and what he's trying to do in this moment is he's actually going to be the good shepherd. Now, the problem is, is that he's already equated himself with God, and now he's equating himself to the being a shepherd. You see, we we always think that the servant is the lowest position on the social hierarchy. It's pretty low. In fact, it might be second lowest, but lower even yet still is the shepherd. The shepherd who spends all day long outside with animals and he spends days on end with them with no other human contact. They smell like the animals that they're leading. If they're a shepherd, it's the sheep. It smells like sheep and, and talks funny. In fact, I, uh, I maybe have told this story. I can't remember. But when I was in Romania uh, one summer helping out at an orphanage, um, it was way out in the Romanian hills. And this guy... It goes by, the shepherd goes by and he's got his little, he's got his shepherd staff and he's beating a couple of the sheep <laughs> to get him back into line. And as he's going, he's just yelling nonstop. Just, and I do that not to make fun of language, but this is where it gets crazy is I've got a, Ro- a Romanian translator standing next to me who he speaks super awesome English. I was like, hey, what language is that? Is that, that doesn't sound like Romanian. He's like, that's not Romanian. It's nothing. It's, we call it Yiddish, um, but it's just nothingness. It's a blend of Romanian, gibberish, and Hungarian. Um, he calls it Yiddish. They call it Yiddish as a joke, um, obviously, because it's not Yiddish. But they, they say it's mostly just gibberish. It's just him just saying nonsense. And these guys would just live on their own and they, they were out all by themselves and no other human contact. The shepherd is considered the lowest of low. And now Jesus is equating himself as the shepherd. And so for the people listening, the Pharisees listening, they're like, what? What do you mean the good shepherd? And then he goes on to describe how he is like the good shepherd in that he will lay his life down for his sheep. And that any good shepherd, the best shepherds, would do this. But the fact is that there is no human shepherd who would most likely lay themselves down in front of the wolf so that way their sheep aren't harmed. That's because even if the wolf eats them as the shepherd, they're going to get hungry and eat the sheep. And so laying yourself down seems silly. And why would anyone do it? But Jesus says, no, that's how I would fight for my sheep is that I would lay myself down in front of the wolf so that way my sheep could be safe. And this image is so wonderful because it shows us, us as the sheep, his disciples as the sheep, other people who would follow him in between this statement and 2021, the sheep, the ones who follow after him, that he would lay his life down for us, not because of anything the sheep have done, because truly they've done nothing. All sheep really can do is stay in a herd for a period of time and then get lost most of the time. And they need the rod to bring them back in to the fold. 
So the sheep have done nothing. An animal like a sheep has done nothing to deserve that kind of sacrificial care from a shepherd. In fact, it might be better to lose one sheep so the rest of them could, you know, run away and be safe from the wolves. But what Jesus says is, no, not even one sheep. I'll lay myself down for all of them. And in this moment, he's describing in a perfect picture what he's going to do on the cross. That his sheep are broken and and constantly getting lost and don't deserve this kind of sacrifice. And yet he freely gives it out of his love, out of his character, out of just who he is. And that's Jesus. The one I asked you if you believe in, that's him. Think about the good shepherd today. And think about the way that he laid himself down for you. That while you were yet still a sinner, he died so that you might have eternal life. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Digging In Podcast Lessons From series. Join us on our next episode as we close out the book of John with John 15 through 21. 